And welcome, St. Gabriel Catholic Radio listeners. This is June 1st, and this morning we're going to bring you something very special. Uh, After the ordination and installation of Bishop Fernandez yesterday, Bishop Fernandez is going to be joining us live in just about 10 seconds. Bishop Earl Fernandez, Your Excellency, we welcome you to the St. Gabriel Radio family. Well, thank you for having me on again. Uh, This is my first time on as the new Bishop of Columbus, and I'm very excited to be on. Well, it was a whirlwind of a day. I'm not sure where to start, but uh, I will say that one of the things that was striking to me was the collegiality of the bishops that were all in attendance, 34 bishops. There were 34 bishops, and many of them from the Eastern Catholic Churches. You probably noticed the Cyril Malankara bishop, but also the Byzantine Ruthenian bishops and the Ukrainian Catholic bishops, uh, and even the the Maronites. So we had a lot of representation. You get a sense of the universal church. Uh, the bishops of Region 6, the Ohio and Michigan bishops were there, and so it was a great celebration. Uh, this morning I got a, a text message from uh, one of the bishops saying, Welcome to the College of Bishops. So we have a sense of cooperation and unity in, in faith and unity in the in the body of Christ. And uh, all those bishops laid their hands on you at uh, the ordination part of the the mass. Any thoughts about uh, that that um that part of the mass? Well, you know, it reminded me of my own priestly ordination in many ways, but uh it was very special. First of all, Archbishop Schnur is the Metropolitan Archbishop of Cincinnati, and I've known him for many years. So he was the principal consecrator. But then Archbishop Pierre, you know, he is the Apostolic Nuncio, and so the Pope's personal representative. I worked there at the Nunciature for three and a half years. I sat across from him for every single meal. I, he, he really is like a father to me. And then Bishop Brennan, of course, he left a great legacy in just a short time. Uh, here in Columbus. So to have those three as the principal consecrators. But then uh, amongst the first bishops, I was kneeling there and kind of looking up as each one went by. And Bishop Sean McKnight of Jefferson City was the first one. And he and I were friends before either of us became bishops. And so, and then uh, Bishop Kurt Burnett, who's a Byzantine Ruthenian bishop of Passaic, uh, he and I studied to get, lived together in Rome for four years. And so those two, and those were the two who also walked me through the church at the end of the liturgy. It's a sign of a kind of a new era uh, in the church and a new era for the Diocese of Columbus. And to you really get a sense of being um, part of something much, much greater than yourself and even much greater than the local church of the Diocese of Columbus. Uh, you're asked to shepherd the people of God, but to work with the other bishops, uh, to, to evangelize, to go out like the, like the Twelve. And, uh, and in the Acts of the Apostles, that speaks of the early church gathering for uh, the teaching of the apostles and the breaking of the bread. And they were all of one heart and one mind uh, right now. Sounds like we might have uh, lost a bishop. Bishop with us. Fernandez, are you there? Dave, i go ahead and have you uh, connect there. Um, bishop Fernandez was ordained uh, the bishop, the 13th bishop of the Diocese of Columbus yesterday, May 31st. Uh, bishop Fernandez uh, was the pastor of St. Ignatius of Loyola Church in Cincinnati uh, for the last three years. Uh, he helped the church heal from uh, some internal problems, and many of the people that have uh, spoken to us about Bishop Fernandez's past is that he was very collegial and always interested in being at the bedside of those who are dying in the parish. So it was a beautiful thing to hear uh, yesterday from his family members who were on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio before the installation and the ordination. Uh, His family speaks very highly of him as well, uh, that from a very early age, 
uh, Bishop Fernandez showed that he had a prayerful um, soul and that even though he was pulled to the the profession of medicine, he decided that, uh, no, the Lord was calling him to the priesthood. And, uh, and he served very valiantly as that priest, and now he is the 13th bishop of the Diocese of Columbus. A couple of things that he received yesterday that were both blessed during the Vespers the night before the installation, uh, he received the mitre, and the mitre is a, a sign that he's consecrated to the Lord and that it symbolizes his holiness and that he is an example for all of us and that he's sacred to the Lord. He also received on the back of the the mitre two infulae, uh, or fans, and those are symbolic of running the race and keeping the faith regardless of the situation. He also received a beautiful crozier, the first crozier that was used in the Diocese of Columbus by Bishop uh, Bishop uh, Rosecrans, and... Um, and it just shows that he loves his his sheep, and that the sharp end or the bottom end of the uh, crozier is meant to prod people on that might be slothful. Uh, the middle, the straight part, to symbolize the need for righteousness, and then the last part, the bent head, to draw people in and attract people who need our Lord. So it's beautiful to hear that uh, Bishop Fernandez is um, enjoying all of. Uh, all of his first day. I know last night he not only uh, was at the reception following the installation and ordination, but he went down to St. Patrick's Parish. So he is a priest and now a bishop on the move. And he used to be known as Speedy, and boy, does he work very fast. Uh, bishop Fernandez, you're back on the line. I'm back on. We Sorry, we lost the Internet over here, so I'm calling you on my uh, mobile phone here. Well, Bishop Fernandez, I was just giving a a quick summary of some of the things you received yesterday uh, as symbols of of the beauty of the ordination to the Bishop of the Columbus, uh, the mitre and the staff um, at the crozier. Uh, the crozier was quite beautiful. The crozier belonged to Bishop Rosecrans, the first bishop of uh, Columbus. Apparently there's a tradition that when a bishop in Columbus is installed, they use his crozier. And the mitre belonged to uh, one of the archbishops of Cincinnati who gave it as a gift uh, to Bishop Isenman, who is uh, Bishop of Columbus. So there was that connection uh, of Cincinnati and Columbus. So uh, when we were searching for crosiers to use, we found a box and it had that mitre in it. So uh, I thought, well, let's use that, too, and have that connection. Um, I may be misremembering, but uh, did the Josephinum make a, a gift to you? Of a, Not, of a crozier or, my, or a miter? You know, they may have, but there's many things that I haven't yet uh, yet received. Uh, and many people I know, I've received a lot of cards of people making gifts uh, to the Josephinum, uh, which is good because that helps us to shape and form the priests of, of Columbus. Uh, Father Besseau, the rector there, uh, has been a longtime friend of mine. Again, he was one with whom I studied in Rome, and I kept in touch, and went. I was trying to bring him to our seminary in Cincinnati in 2016, and Archbishop Nauman agreed to release him. And just then I was transferred to the Nunciature, but he and I both have doctorates in moral theology, so he was able to um, to take my place there at the seminary in Cincinnati. And then I was working at the Nunciature, and Josephine was looking for a new rector, and they got Father Besseau, who's the right man for the job. So many, many people have been very, very generous. So we, you know, I have the rings, the pectoral cross, uh, I have a gold pectoral cross and a silver pectoral cross. The gold pectoral cross was given to me by my staff at St. Ignatius 
And the, uh, the silver pectoral cross, which I wore for the Vespers, was given to me by parishioners uh, from my very first parish. So uh, I, I, in one way or the other, I tried to be connected with um, the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, the Diocese of Columbus, my first parish, Holy Angels, uh, my, my last parish, uh, St. Ignatius. And then at the Vespers, Bishop, um, did you receive two rings, or were there two rings? Well, so I had, yeah, apparently, so uh, he, he, they blessed the ring. So there was a gold ring and a silver ring. The reason is, sometimes a bishop wears a silver pectoral cross. If you wear the silver pectoral cross, you have to wear a silver chain with a silver ring. A gold pectoral cross, um, uh, a gold chain with a gold ring. Now, if you let the... Uh, cross hang down, and you have to wear a long gold or sil- silver chain. Or if you're wearing the house cassock, uh, which I wore yesterday at St. Paul's in Westerville for the reception, you know, that kind of hangs down in a very formal way and, and pins to a button uh, and then hangs down. And then you wear a long chain. Uh, but if you're just uh, having the chain go in your pocket, you wear a short chain. Uh, and how you keep track of all this sort of thing, I don't know. I'm glad I had Monsignor Lane and Monsignor Monsignor <laughs> right. as my chaplains because they helped me get dressed for everything. Uh, it turns out Monsignor Marchese was um, the priest secretary to um, uh, Cardinal Bevilacqua when he was auxiliary bishop in Brooklyn, so it turned out handy. You're listening to our 13th bishop for the Diocese of Columbus, Bishop Earl Fernandez, uh, ordained and installed as the bishop of the the Diocese of Columbus yesterday. And he's on very early this morning, and you're going to be on the run quite a bit these next few weeks. But before we get to that, at the end of the the Mass, you you mentioned that uh, you wanted to give some thanks because you're so grateful for those who helped you get to this point. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm grateful, of course, I, as I said, to Archbishop Schnur, uh, Archbishop Pierre, and Bishop Brennan for consecrating me, as well as my brother bishops who were there. The priests of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati have been great to me for years. I've been tw- a priest 20 years. And so most of them, eight of those years, I spent outside of the diocese. So I was so eager to get back to be with them, and they've sustained me. But to have the priests of Columbus there, to see them all together and united, that was a great celebration for us all. But in addition to the clergy and the deacons who were there, there were so many men and women religious there, as well as, um, as well as all the lay faithful. And so, but amongst those, even uh, former students of mine from Layman Catholic High School, young people who are still connected to the faith, to see them, to see people from my first parish who nurtured my faith and strengthened me in the priesthood, but especially my family members, you know, my brothers, my wives, my nephews and nieces were kind of going a little crazy <laughs> Not only when I first walked up, but even when I walked by with the with the papal bull, you know, it's a, it's a sense of great pride. Um, but then also my parents, uh, great people, truly, truly great people. And Archbishop um, Gregory Hartmeyer from Atlanta, <clears throat> excuse me, was the homilist yesterday. Did you meet him? At Our Lady of Consolation, or um, how far does that relationship no, so go he, back? He, he is a conventual Franciscan, but he's from the Eastern Province, which has its a provincial house in Ellicott City, uh, Maryland. On my desk, there's a big sculpture of St. Anthony showing the Eucharist with a donkey, and one of his classmates actually sculpted it. Uh, but uh, I met him my first day at the Nunciature. At that time, Archbishop Vigano was uh, Nuncio, and the USCCB's administrative committee... Uh, was visiting the Nunciator for a dinner. That was my very first day, and so Vigano uh, joked, um, uh, oh, we decided to have this big 
dinner because I have a new secretary today. Uh, and everybody laughed, but we had a kind of a, a little reception before the dinner. And I saw one bishop kind of standing off by his own. And I thought, oh, maybe he's new and I'm new. I'll go talk to him. And it was then Bishop Gregory Hartmayer, who was the Bishop of Savannah at that time. And we talked a little bit and we got to know each other. Unbeknownst to me, he was the Episcopal liaison also for the NCEA. So they have their headquarters in Washington. So over the next several years, he would come to Washington a few times a year and we'd go out for dinner or lunch and just get together. We just had a, a, a nice, strong friendship. Uh, lots of times bishops have questions and they call the nuncio, but since we knew each other personally, he'd often call and say, look, I need to get this done, or do you have any advice for me? Or sometimes, you know, bishops, like, they're so, because they have to have a certain closeness and a certain distance from their own priests, they don't have anybody to talk to. And so during the time, especially of uh, the Cardinal McCarrick crisis and, and all of that. He just wanted a friend. And so I thought, well, you know what, the bishops have such a hard life. If I can be a friend to a few of them, well, that'd be a good thing. And so we just became good friends. And he's a, you know, he's a good man, balanced man. Uh, and uh, he's called a shepherd. Uh, again, another huge and growing archdiocese. And Bishop, it was nice seeing Monsignor Frank Lane with you. He's, uh, I understand he's uh, a close friend of yours. For many years. So um, I first met him in Rome when I was doing studies, maybe actually even before that, when I was uh, a newly ordained priest in Sydney, Ohio. He came to one of our priest support group meetings, and everyone always referred to him as the great Frank Lane, the great <laughs> Frank Lane. My brothers had known him earlier when they were in medical school because uh, – that time he was pastor of a St. Andrew Church in Upper Arlington, and he helped build that new church. Uh, and so uh, I had heard of him. Then you will recall maybe around 2006 or seven, somewhere around there, there was an apostolic visitation of all the seminaries uh, in the United States. As a result of that visitation, a seminary in Cincinnati was told, you need to have an in-house spiritual director. Monsignor Lane had retired I had gone up to St. Bonaventure University to teach in the Franciscan Institute there. And so I said, how about Frank Lane? And they said, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. And so we got him to come to Cincinnati, and he became a spiritual director there. And therefore, he became a spiritual father to a bunch of young seminarians and priests in Cincinnati, but also to me. And he and I would go for five-mile walks every day, foolish enough to run for 30, uh, 30, every day for 35 years. And so we became fast friends, and of course he has a great intellect, and we could have very high-level conversations or just go to a bar and have a couple of beers and enjoy ourselves. So uh, he has been a great figure to me and a father, and uh, he accompanied me on my spiritual retreat even to the Abbey of the Genesis just prior to ordination. So I really count on his advice and counsel, as I'm sure many priests and many lay people do. People from Columbus drive down to Cincinnati to see, and, uh, and I'm sure if he were here in Columbus, people from Cincinnati would drive up to see. He truly has the wisdom. Bishop Fernandez, uh, you closed yesterday at the ordination and installation with a uh, exhortation to uh, develop a culture of, of vocations in Columbus. Absolutely. If a million people are come to our diocese in the next 10 years, all of those people Christ. And in order to do that, to bring them Jesus Christ, we need to have a strong church. One mark of a strong church is to have priestly vocation. 
because the priests bring people the sacraments. It's not only the Eucharist, but also they forgive sins, they, and they visit the sick and heal them. And so we need people to proclaim the gospel and the gospel with joy. It's not that deacons don't do that. It's not that lay people aren't leavened in the world. But you need to have priests. Boots on the ground, as they might say, in military lingo. When Archbishop came, Archbishop of Cincinnati, he was coming to Luke, where he had fostered lots of vocations. But he composed a vocation prayer. And he wanted that prayer to be read at every single Mass in every church in the Archdiocese. And it, so it happened. And what happened as a result of that was that a lot of young men son hearing the words of those prayer, that prayer, you know, Almighty God, you have created us for some definite purpose. Grant us the grace to know the path you have chosen for our life and to respond with a just death. So that really raised awareness. Ah, God's made me for something else, for some definite purpose. What is that purpose? Little by little, when I started at academic seminary in Cincinnati, we had 33 men in seminary total, and that included two years of pre-theology, four years of theology, plus a pastoral year. Seven years, 33 guys. The year I left in 2016, we were 68, but looking to have 83, which we got the next year. Then the next year, the numbers went up as high as 97. Cincinnati has a huge number of seminarians, new priests, which was evident in yesterday's ordination and profession into church. Uh, four years ago, nine board, and three years ago, three, two years ago, seven, and this year, seven, and then next year, there will be seven. You take that number, 33 new priests in just five years. That's a third of the active clergy of the Diocese of Columbus. Now, if it could be done there, why could it done here in the Diocese of Columbus. If we are serious about vocation and serious about the future of our church, and we don't want our church to close, and we want the priests to be present to our young especially in the schools and in the high schools, then sacrifice made. And that's why I called upon men to be generous, to make a sacrifice. St. Jesus Dugan says sacrifice is the most perfect form of love. And so we need to have a sacrifice. Have sacrifice. It's not just giving up, but it's making an offering out of love. And people, I'm calling upon men and women of our diocese to make an offering of themselves to serve as priests and religious. You're listening to our new bishop, Bishop Earl Fernandez, uh, as he talks about sacrifice and the culture of vocations for our diocese. And Bishop Fernandez, what about family life? So I think family life is important because every vocation is born in the home. I would attribute my own vocation to the fact that my parents were persons of faith and persons of prayer. Daily we prayed the rosary, we went to Mass like clockwork, I could see my father praying in his hospital, see my mother praying at our home, and they taught us the value of prayer and of the Mass. They, my father would come back tired from the hospital and would teach us our catechism. You know, we learned not only in school but also from the Baltimore Catechism at home and so we had a healthy family life. They took us on pilgrimages uh, to the Shrine of Our Lady of Consolation. And so we had a healthy devotional life. We were exposed to things like processions uh, with the Statue of Our Lady of Consolation or Eucharistic adoration and benediction or praying with the relics of St. Anthony. All of those things helped um, create and develop a Catholic imagination in us, which then 
ultimately led us to have fertile ground to consider our vocations. Now, four of my brothers are married, and they, between them, I have 15 nephews and nieces. And they're handing on the faith to all, to all their children, uh, because they have something to propose to them about a way of living that is different from what the world proposes. So family life has to be strengthened, but parents today struggle to hand on the gift of faith because catechesis was so woeful for two generations. And you can't just cast the faith by osmosis. You think about the culture today, and it's toxic. So how do we support families? That's going to be a question I'm going to pose to people like Father Streitenberger and our Marriage and Family Life Office here in the Diocese of Columbus. How can we better support families? But also, how can we help foster the vocation of marriage? Young people today are often afraid of divorce, afraid of deeper commitment. Uh, They know the pain of divorce. And so they say, well, let's live together, or let's not get married, or we don't believe in the institution of marriage. We have to restore their confidence. And part of the way their confidence gets restored is by having healthy and credible witnesses, faithful husbands and wives, faithful husbands and wives who are generous in saying yes to life, faithful husbands and wives who are committed to the children, to nurturing the faith of their children. I think these are some of the things we need to foster. I was edified that many of my former students from Lehman Catholic High School were there at the ordination. I celebrated Many of their masses baptized some of their children, uh, and it was a great day to say, if you have a priestly presence and you become interested in the lives of young people and families, they will be interested in the life of Christ and the life of His Church, and they will be involved and they will be engaged. There is my proof. Monsignor Luigi Giussani, a member of the Communion and Liberation, the founder of the Communion and Liberation, the lay ecclesial movement, would often say, tell us what you see. Go out and verify And what I saw yesterday was a church in Columbus that was on fire with faith, that was excited. And that's what we need to do. St. Ignatius of Loyola would often say to the Jesuit priests in the missions, where he would write, he would conclude his letters, go and set the world on fire. And that's what we need in the Diocese of Columbus, the fire of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in our hearts and in our families. And so the whole culture of vocation begins with the family. I can say it's a line blue in the face. Religious men, religious women can witness to it concretely, as well as our priests. But ultimately, it's down to the parents to say, yeah, I would support you if you chose this way of life. And my mother, you know, was somewhat reluctant uh, when I decided to leave medical school to enter the seminary. She was not naive about how seminaries were. She wanted her son to be happy and be secure. Um, wanted me to finish my medical school, as devout as she was. But then she saw that our seminary was a healthy place, and she saw that I was happy. And then when I was ordained a priest, she kissed my hand, and she had so much pride, as did my father, that I was a priest. And so I think parents need to hear that message, like, if your son thinks he has a call to the priesthood, if your daughter thinks she has a call to consecrated life, don't be a barrier. Be a bridge for Christ for them so they can encounter him and know his love. One of, two of my former students are priests at the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and they were there yesterday. But one of my former students uh, recently uh, received her name on the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, received her religious name in the Children of Mary. Mm-hmm. The religious sister of Mercy of Alma, who did the second reading yesterday, 
uh, was a friend of mine from Community and Liberation, who was a young person trying to find her way in life. And I first referred her to Monsignor Lane, who referred her to the Superior of the Sisters of Mercy of Alma. And she became a sister, and she's so joy-filled, and she works in Knoxville. Uh, and, and again, she was one who, when she lived and studied philosophy in Washington, she was in charge of getting all the young people fired up at the Verizon Center for the March for Life. You see what young people are capable of, and now I have hope, even as I approach my 50th birthday, for the Church, because I see young people doing great things for the Church. And not just them. Um, my friend Stephanie was a former student. She's a school teacher in the public schools, but she's such a bright and happy person, a great presence. So she's mediating Christ in the human reality just by her compassion and her tenderness and her care for her students even in a public school, and it's, that's beautiful to witness. And I was able to have her wedding, I don't know, more than 10 years ago here at St. Joseph Cathedral. Other former students of mine, I had their wedding at St. Mary's in German Village or at uh, St. Leo's. So it's great to see these young people, and they have children whom I baptized, and all those things are, are going to be make for a strong church here in Columbus. And Bishop, um, in the context of evangelization, it seems that one of the simplest things that we can do as uh, disciples of Christ is to share a sincere smile, um, very first thing that we can do. Well, absolutely. Uh, you heard Archbishop Pierre talk about that in his remarks yesterday. You, have a, you already have a radiant smile. We don't want to be Christians who are always dour or down, or as the Pope says, who celebrate Lent without Easter. But the joy that we have comes from knowing the person of Jesus Christ, who helps us to make sense of our sorrows and even takes our sorrow and pain away and replaces it with great consolation and the joy of the Spirit. Of course, the disciples of Jesus were sad that he had to go away, but he had promised the sending of the Holy Spirit. He promised, I must go away, he told them. Otherwise, you won't receive the gift from on high, the Holy the Advocate, the Holy Spirit. And the disciples didn't quite understand at that time, but eventually they would. So it's one thing to smile. It's one thing to be funny and to tell jokes. It's another thing to have some substance to offer that brings joy to the hearts of men and women. And that joy is the joy of the gospel. Once my brother Ashley and I were talking to an Indian woman who was living in England, and we were telling her simple stories, the story of the parable of the Good Shepherd, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And finally she stopped us and said, I've never heard any of these before. If only I had heard of these, I would have become a Christian. And so I think sometimes we forget the basic proclamation of the gospel, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world, and this word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that the word suffered in the flesh on the cross to save us from our sins so much that he loved us. And in offering himself to the Father for the forgiveness of our sins, he offers us the possibility of life, because he has truly been raised from the dead, and he offers eternal life to those who will believe in him. And although he has gone up to heaven to be at his Father's right hand to serve as our eternal high priest, he has sent the Holy Spirit among us, and that the presence of Christ remains in his mystical body, the Church, which is present in the human reality. And the Church mediates the presence of Christ in and through the sacraments, through the proclamation of the Word, in the mystical body itself, in the world, really, and in the person of the priest. 
And now in the person of the bishop, we hear the voice of Christ, and we begin to meditate upon the holiness of Christ himself, Christ who is the Good Shepherd. These are the things that I think sometimes we forget about. We forget to propose simple things that give people hope. But I will place my hope always in Jesus Christ. He saved me, and he loved me, and he loves me still in spite of my faults. And that's truly good news for everyone, that Jesus loves you. And that's just a very simple and joyful message. You're listening to our new bishop for the Diocese of Columbus, Bishop Earl K. Fernandez, the 13th bishop of the Diocese of Columbus, ordained and installed yesterday, March, uh, sorry, May 31st, 2022. Uh, bishop, could you close us with a prayer and a blessing? Sure, sure. Almighty and eternal God, as we begin this month of June, we meditate upon the heart of your beloved Son, his most sacred heart, which is full of mercy and love for sinners. Pour out an abundance of mercy and love upon the Diocese of Columbus, on this church which you have called me to shepherd. Fill your people with your grace, that they may be joyful heralds of your gospel. Pour out your Spirit upon us as the great feast of Pentecost approaches, that we may be truly servants of your gospel. We ask this in all things, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.